What's up, everyone? You're listening to Bring the Heavy with Kurt and Evan, your all-access pass to the behind-the-scenes of the scene. We're here to celebrate the history and evolution of Deathcore and some of the heaviest music around, the people that made it happen. I'm one of your hosts, Kurt. And I'm your other host, Evan. For anyone that might not know, I used to tour with metal bands. I have an Instagram account, at IDW Museum, that's a look back at the six years that I spent in the band I Declare War. I'm also posting memories of the time I toured as a guitar tech for Whitechapel and As I Lay Dying. Reminiscing has been a lot of fun, so that kind of inspired this podcast. Kurt is one of my best friends, and we have been friends ever since I started touring, so we're here to get some of those same stories from other bands. First, we're going to talk about what we've been listening to lately. What have you been listening to, Kurt? This should not surprise anybody, but I've been on a huge guar kick this week, which is pretty much like an every other week thing. I feel like I kind of go back and forth from like listening to stuff I listened to my whole life, and then I'll have a week where I kind of experiment a little bit, and then back to the tried and true stuff, so really just guar all week. (laughs) What about you? I, for some reason fell into a kill switch engage mode and I I was um, listening to the end of heartache every day at work and I was just so in love with all of the pinch harmonics and guitar riffs and super ridiculous over-the-top dramatic vocals that Howard gives on that record. So um, I was, yeah, I've I've been really into Kill Switch lately. I've never listened to them much. Uh, I listened to the, the title track of that album, and it was good. I feel like I should probably listen to that this week. When I asked you if you had listened to it and you said that you hadn't, it didn't surprise me. Because you said that um, part of the reason you didn't like Sleep Token was because of the kind of uh, poppy dramatic parts. And when I was listening to the end of Heartache, I was like, man, these these (laughs) poppy dramatic parts are so good. I bet that's why Kurt doesn't listen to Kill Switch. <laughs> and then I kind of thought like Kill Switch may have been like a precursor to Sleep Token and I was just like trying to connect all this stuff and man, I was going deep on it. <laughs> I saw them once uh and it was a good show, but I never yeah, I never really listened to them. And now that you're saying the making those associations with Sleep Token, I can kind of see it yeah. because I I don't like uh super melodic pretty mm-hmm. stuff i like pretty gnarly gross metal so right. maybe that's why <laughs> okay so for today our first episode with a guest we have the one the only the cameron argon big chocolate disfiguring the goddess i don't know how how to introduce you properly but we have Cameron Argon today, and as you all know, Cameron is the uh, uh, writer of the Bring the Heavy theme, so we, we want to thank him for that, of course. Hell yeah. 
Best theme ever. Um, it is the best theme. <laughs> best theme ever. It really is. <laughs> so um, I'm trying to think about how I know you originally. And honestly, the first time that I can think of how I know of who Cameron Argon Big Chocolate is was because of the faceless audition video. I don't remember any time before that that I know you. Um, I re- I seem to recall you saying that you were at the Douglas County Battle of the Bands and you saw me with Joe play in my band. Yeah, as you say, that's Correct weird. Me if I'm wrong about that, like your dad lived like forty feet from where I lived. <laughs> I, I could well, see your house from my that, kitchen. But, yeah. <laughs> But yeah, like like literally around the corner. And <laughs> but I, I seem to remember the first time knowing about you was that video and I didn't really get to know you until later on until I was more in I Declare War and touring and I had moved back to Nevada. But did we know each other at all before like I moved back during the I Declare War years, or was there... Because I, I just seem to remember you from that video of being like, this is Joe's friend. Wow, how did I not know this guy? <laughs> Joe's friend. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Um, I was at that Battle of the Bands. I don't re- really remember Joe. Who was your guys' drummer? This guy Matt Roberts. Oh yeah, he didn't really. Oh yeah, he didn't really play drums Matt's that much. Awesome. He just kind of knew how to play, and so we just kind of like, all right, well, you're our friend, and you play drums, so you're playing for us. He's also hilarious. Um, he was a really funny guy. Super yeah, funny. I liked him a lot. Um, yeah, he was our band hilarious. was called Tomorrow We Attack. Sick. And then you <laughs> moved on to I Declare War. I know. <laughs> I didn't make that connection. <laughs> I didn't make that connection at all what are we gonna until be called? I sent you that I've picture got an of the idea. flyer. <laughs> and I wasn't even part of that, which is so funny. You're like, what are you, what's your guys' name? I declare war. You're like, I'm in. <laughs> this is my band now. <laughs> it was perfect in the stars man <laughs> uh, but what about you Kurt um, I think I, I, I don't remember if it was I Declare Goddess or um, I used to watch your, your vocal videos a lot uh, and I can honestly say that I was so new to metal when I was watching you do those you were the very first person I ever heard do like slam vocals. Hell yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I and it's weird because I never I never obviously never knew you, but I knew that Evan knew you and I watched so many of your videos on YouTube that um it just kind of I feel like I know you. <laughs> But yeah, I used to watch a ton of those videos. That's always And then good. I went back uh, to watch uh, years later. I wanted to watch that slam video again. And I, th- I think you maybe had taken it down, but somebody else had uploaded it with like 240p, but I could still watch it again. So 
That was cool. <laughs> it's probably better that way. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to ask you about that, actually. I had a note written down about that because I was going through your channel and looking at some of these older videos, and I noticed that a lot of them say eight years ago. Was there a time that you took some of them down? Yeah, there was... Um, I don't know when it was. It's probably like... 2011 2012 2013 when I took a bunch of them down just because I was like kind of sick of uh hearing about them you know yeah. <laughs> oh sorry so, that was kind of heavier. <laughs> <laughs> heavier into more yeah. big chocolate era though right yeah and you just you know anything you put online you can't really get rid of yeah <laughs> <laughs> so and I was going to say, you know, I, I really feel like you are someone that doesn't get enough credit for being an originator of someone that makes content, because I feel like you were doing that before being a content creator was a thing at all. Like, that that's just what you were doing. You were doing your daily vlog. You were doing your vocal videos. You were just having fun doing it. And... You, you've just continued on with it and it's i i think i don't think you get enough credit for it <laughs> well well thank you yeah i think i think if the term content creator was around then i probably would have been like never mind <laughs> <laughs> do you see yourself that way now not really i don't really feel like i make that much content to be honest you know compared to like your typical content creator right um now, if you look at doing those types of activities, which everybody does now because of stories, so even like your typical Facebook mom is now a vlogger, technically, you know, um, like I, uh, there wasn't really a blueprint for that, so I, I didn't really see the, the, um, I didn't really, I mean, I remember having kind of a long-term perspective in my mind, like, I was thinking like, wow, if I film every day of my life when I'm like 40 years old, I'll have like 20 years on the internet. And I was like, that's crazy and awesome. Um, and then just kind of had to do some things probably more related to f uh, foundation building as an individual that I kind of wanted to do off camera. And I kind of to feel the like I kind of, I don't know if this term influencer was like a buzzword yet, but I remember starting to feel pretty influential with like, especially the vlogs. And I was like, I don't know anything. I don't like a lot of the stuff that I remember saying in the early days, I like, I've kind of, I don't want to say reverted back to, but more so full circled mm -hmm. back to kind of like totally. feeling like that again. But, um, the, I, I remember distinctly, like there was like a period where I'm like, I didn't have to kind of grew up a little bit and I don't want to like talk about really what I'm going through or dealing with or thinking about so thoroughly because I don't really want to be uh, um, influential on some terms where I don't really understand the consequences of being influential on. So that was kind of like low key, the main kind of drift away from vlogging. Mm -hmm. um, also like, you know, there's this thing... I've I've also heard people talk about where, like, when you're a kid, you're just friends everywhere, and then when you're in college, there's still friends everywhere, and then afterwards, like, things start to dwindle down. 
Totally. And I kind of ran into that really quickly um, just because I never went to college, but I kind of like jumped into like more real world type of things. And um, I just kind of didn't have like the, the same amount of people around that were like down to be on a, not down to be on a vlog, but just kind of like wanted to have fun like that where things were like, you know, I didn't really have so many, I'll say like characters kind of around. Right. Um, frequently, you know what I mean? So when there was someone that would come around, it was more like special and I didn't really want to like pull out a camera when I haven't seen someone in like nine months or whatever. <laughs> or, and, and not, not just this particular person, but just like people in general. Yeah. Right. Totally. I've seen someone every other day and you know, where I'm always having fun and I hang out with you, you're kind of just in that, that whirlwind, which was fun then. Cause like it was, I remember back in high school when I had an iMac and, people just wanted to like take pictures on it, put it on MySpace. Like that was super fun. Yeah. Now it's like, people don't want it, you know, don't, don't take my picture. Don't post it on Facebook or they just assume that you're taking a picture or posting on Facebook yeah. or something <laughs> when you're around certain people and stuff. Mm -hmm. So there's kind of like some cultural shifts with that, that I was kind of like, uh, aware of. I kind of like doing it more when it was a little more like people wanted to be on YouTube, you yeah. know, which was, which was, fun. that was kind of the reason it was just fun, you know? And uh, When it was more fun and less kind of structured as it is now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like people always be like, you made a lot of money doing that? And I was like, you couldn't make money doing yeah, that. Yeah, not, not like, back that then. Was, no, one, <laughs> that, no, one, no one even thought about that. Totally. Um, so that was kind of, you know, there, now looking back, there's probably some parts uh, like there's been some parts recently specifically came every day that I've, I've vlogged not too much traction or anything, but more so as like a documentation. And I kind of think the people who to tune into that channel particularly are a little more, uh, I mean, it's entertainment in some ways, but I think they're just people who are like, uh, I don't know, like generally not really trying to be entertained. They're just more generally interested. Um, yeah, I've seen so them. I've you, actually you're have, posting them more on the stories, right? No, I like 2018. I kind of posted a little bit when my buddy Parker Wines was living with me, and then um, when I moved to Austin, I think I made like three of them, and then um, just again, just kind of for fun. the The big thing is just the workflow. Like, if I get a workflow that's easy and easy to do, then mm -hmm. it's easy. If I have to edit stuff then i'm not going to do it because that's just <laughs> like defeats it i never yeah. really edited those you know right. it was always just like drop the clips maybe like find something funny and you know kind of copy it around but uh I, i've been doing it lately a little bit more as kind of like a midi mini podcast kind of like almost format where i'm talking about specific um themes and lately i've been trying to theme them around stuff that have to do with music or if like if someone asks me a question lately, I'll, I'll make like a more thorough response. Um, and it's not really a, it's more like a random train of events thought wise. And it, I'm kind of just doing it now because there's just some things I want to talk about probably in the next couple of years um, more publicly that I'm just kind of like training up for and maybe starting to like lay some foundation for. Mm -hmm. um, but it's just, uh, it's just, in so many ways, like myself is compared to like when I was, you know, 2010, 2009, just more mature. 
Totally. And, um, I don't know. It's, uh, I, I don't know. Like, a lot of the stuff we've been talking about, like the vocal videos, the early YouTube, it was, like, never really... Like, when I did vocal videos, I, I think there was, like, maybe one or a few online. I only really remember the Vincus guy. Um, that's why I said, let's do a showdown. Yeah, I was going to say. Let's take over this space. It says vocal showdown with Vincus. <laughs> yeah, he was the only guy that uploaded, like, a death metal vocal video on YouTube at the time. And I was kind of inspired by him to do the same. And then I don't know which one it was, but, like, maybe the second or third video, I was like, I wrote him a YouTube message, which was a thing then. You could write messages and stuff. <laughs> yeah. And then, like, honestly, like, I never had those, like, dopamine. My dopamine muscles were all wired towards MySpace, not towards YouTube. Yeah. YouTube was sleeping. They didn't have the little notification dings or whatever. <laughs> yeah. So, like, I would, I would not, I would never go on YouTube and, like, look at what was happening with the videos. Maybe, like, every couple of weeks, it'd be like, people are watching this. This is cool. Or, but... I never was like glued to like the feedback or or much. Um, I don't know. It's kind of cool to look back on because it's just very um, very authentic. Yeah, you know, totally. There is not, not like any. Uh, there is. I was. There's no other alternatives other than just to. I don't know. Contribute really, you know. You know, I was thinking about that exact thing today when I was putting up some random blankets on my walls to do some sound dampening because I thought I thought about the egg cr crates that you put up in your studio, oh, yeah. you know, and I was just like I feel I'm I'm doing what Cam did. I'm being resourceful and just, you know, trying to trying to do what I can in this little space and those egg crates were way better at building an identity for that studio than they were <laughs> with any sound dampening. <laughs> Everyone remembers those, but I don't remember them making much of a difference in there. That's so funny. <laughs> was that so that that big chocolate faceless tryout was that like was were you actually trying out for the faceless were you big chocolate were you known was that was there or was that really what propelled you and what kind of put your put your name on the map um i mean at that point i had a couple like the abrogations crown death metal cover was pretty that was the vincus showdown one and that one I think was pretty popular, and um, I don't like again the dates get all screwed up because I took them off. Yeah, I made them private or whatever for a while. When you republish them, they get republished. Um, the showdown one um, is just death metal vocals. That's the title. And classic it has YouTube. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> it has eight it has eight hundred and thirty thousand views as of right now. Um That's the cool. other one the other one is titled The Faceless. Yeah. So I remember and it it has four hundred and ninety five thousand. They were this was this had to be two thousand eight, two thousand nine. Had to be. Um and like I knew I couldn't do it. I knew I wasn't gonna join a band and tour when I was in high school, you know. Yeah. 
So, like, even if they were like, That's yeah, why we, we want you to do it, I would have been like, I can't do it. I'm... <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, so I kind of just wanted to do it just to, like, see if I could, uh, you know, penetrate into, uh, I don't know. Who knows? It'd be cool if they asked me. I don't know. I, I, I honestly wasn't really trying. I just was like, you know, it's an instrumental death metal track. And that those facial songs are good. I like the vocals on the the originals. Yeah. And um I don't I I don't know if people are doing the full thing or what. I just remember doing doing that bit. And uh I remember it was good because it was not not that this was intentional, but people were like talking a lot about it. And it uh, was I popular. Me- I remember the faceless like even addressing it. Being like, Big Chocolate's not our vocalist. <laughs> <laughs> They're probably hella bugged I made that video. <laughs> uh, but I don't know. It's a classic. I thought, like, if I go back and listen to that shit now, I'm like, this this is dope. <laughs> it's still good. <laughs> yeah, it holds up. I thought it was sick because, you know, I wasn't really like a metalcore or a hardcore vocalist. I was, and I still am more of just a death metal vocalist. So I, I was like, you know, I thought this was like, I just thought it was sick, brutal, you know? I tried to, I remember trying out for another local band and I, they t- they went with some other guy who had probably a little better range. Um, a local band in Nevada? Yeah, when I was in high school too. Really? Um, yeah, I can't remember who what the guy's names were. They were cool guys that they lived in Carson City. I can't remember the band or or any anyone in the name in the band's name, but I remember I didn't make that either. Um, not that I was like bummed or anything, but stuff to do, you know. But what? So what was it that got you into vocals and death metal and like how did you get into that in the first place? Because you've obviously got it. You know, you're you're a name that comes up every time anyone talks about, you know, there's a, a Reddit thread who is the best vocalists. You're always on there. And, you know, so you're 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 obviously talented with it. How did you get into that in the first place? Well, thank you. Um, the I mean, not really getting into like how I got into metal, but I remember when I was into like really writing songs a lot, I would write songs on Guitar Tab Pro. And the thing I liked about Guitar Tab Pro was you could write drums and, and, and bass and other instruments in the same song. And that was kind of my first experience. <laughs> Did you see the Instagram post I made today? No, I have to, I have to keep social media off my phone because it destroys <laughs> my brain. It's about how I wrote music in Guitar Tab Pro. <laughs> I feel like people made a lot of great music at that program. I, people still use it. That's I know that awesome. for, for sure. But I would write songs in there and I'd write the drums. And my biggest inspiration was this. Uh, it's not this band. I'm sure people know him. Old Man's Child. Um, the guitar player in... Demi Borgir was in that band and then he joined that Demu and then he kind of kept Old Man's Child as just kind of a project between him and the other guitar player. And they have a song called, um, or not a song, it's an album. It's one of these albums, like I've never talked about it in conversation where I'm like, hey, have you checked this out? 
So it's like a, I've been listening to it since I was like 16, and I don't know that I don't mm-hmm. have pronounce. It's like in defiance of existence or something. It's got like some chick on the cover. Awesome, <laughs> awesome, awesome record. Probably like one of the most. Well, there's a lot of influential records on Disfiguring, but it's definitely like one of the most, just in terms of like atmosphere and mood and just songwriting, but he would do the vocals, and I always thought his vocals were so sick. And I remember thinking, like, if I could do the vocals, then I could do what he's doing and do, like, the whole thing. Like, the vocals is, like, the thing I don't know how to um, write or place or anything. And um, so fast forward a little bit, you know, get to high school, start um, Disfiguring the Goddess with uh, my buddy Saf and Garrett and Reed, Garrett McGee and Reed Mitchell. And, um, you know, Garrett was the vocalist. Reed was a guitar player. We kind of, like, met Saf and I. Saf was a drummer. And then um, Garrett and Reed left. And then we got um, Jake and Nate. And they were both, like, inhale vocalists. I don't even think either of them really listened to metal. Jake was had a really eclectic music taste. We knew him from the punk scene. Um, he was really so. Cool were you guy. playing guitar? Yeah, only playing guitar, writing the songs, and then you know me and Saf would write these songs, and we were like inspired at the time. I've been thinking about this a lot lately, actually, like because in the when you're at like at this stage, you're more inspired by like what you're con- like contemporarily into, and mm-hmm. a lot of that was like death grind and slam. So like guttural secrete and um devourment or whatever but like like with guttural secrete like maybe there's like two riffs that i was like very inspired by and those two riffs lasted like 15 seconds so it's like (laughs) those 15 seconds are way more inspirational than me like rinsing the catalog compared to like right stuff that i've like really really spent a ton of time listening to like um you know, Lamb of God, Cradle of Filth, Soil Work, you know, like albums that I've really rinsed compared to stuff that, um, you know, the 15 seconds of it were very inspirational, you know, um, which I, I like long term making music and long term making disfiguring. I can feel a lot of like more original inspirations of stuff that's more like probably deep embedded in like my um uh, you know, when I'm flowing with something, what kind of naturally will come to is uh, the stuff I've spent more time with, which is like, mm-hmm. you know, DB board. And you don't really realize child. it. Yeah. yeah. Like, Guttle Secrete is like not ins- inspirational at all to me in in so many ways. Um, but, you know, early on, loved that band. You know, and there, they had a couple seconds that just were like, you know, just a couple little transitions. They'd run a riff for like, 10 seconds and then make a sound and go to somewhere else. I was like, this is so awesome. Like, yeah, there's two pinch harmonics in duality by Slipknot that I tried to replicate literally every live show I ever played. And I tried to make them sound identical to that song because that, that just 
stuck in my head and it was like this is the coolest thing ever this is perfect i need to make something that sounds exactly like that so yeah i know exactly what you're talking about <laughs> i love that i love how like little tiny things that happen can inspire whole movements like sl <laughs> slam's a classic example everybody knows like the origins of slam um what's it called leave of in, in veracity by suffocation they the breakdown it's just like these the quintessential slam riff and like mm -hmm. every slam band just plays that one riff you know mm -hmm. um but anyways we started recording music on a computer um saf we would record like with electric drum kit and cymbals and then uh i'd get these vocalists to come record and i remember like i lived next to the high school so i'd walk home for lunch and every every day and i remember walking home for lunch and like mentally, without even trying or practicing anything and stumbling upon it, it was like I had an epiphany walking home from lunch. I don't remember the exact what I was thinking about or the train of events, but I remember being like, I think I know how to do vocals. I think I know how to do it. <laughs> and I went home and I powered up the computer. And I think I have a recording somewhere, not on my computer, but like on one of these early demos where I... I recorded like the very first time I ever did death metal vocals I just like knew it was gonna ha come out good and I had the microphone mm -hmm. and it sounded so sick and I remember being like it's <laughs> it's this is over this game over and um, no longer just guitar <laughs> yeah I think we recorded uh we had Nate for a little while I'd do like we both do vocals and then he just kind of got uninterested and I was just kind of like I had just a like my sound was for the songs that I was writing was, was just more uh, kind of built for it. And then I got um, tune tracks, drum kit from hell. And I wrote a really badass song with it. And I showed my drummer it and he was like, this is, this is really good, man. I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> I can't do that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, old man's child. That was like a early kind of one man thing, and he he used a lot of synthesizers in his music too. Um, so that was a that was that's still a staple. I still listen to that album all the time. Uh, I was listening to it a few days ago. I was listening to Cradle of Filth this morning, and I was just like, man, I haven't heard this song in so long. But I, I would just rinse this song, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I was I I was very influenced in my early days by the uh the Treyu album Suicide Notes and Butterfly Kisses and I was I remember buying that at Barnes and Noble <laughs> and the guy working was like you know look he looked like kind of I don't know what he looked like but he was like this is a great album. And I was like thanks. <laughs> I think I only like that one single on it. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> yeah. Um, the Yeah, it's the last song in the Lip Gloss and Black. Um, yeah, all the rest on. of it went way over my head. <laughs> I put it on yesterday while I was running around town doing errands, and I was like, man, this is just so high school. This is like, it's so poorly produced and just so bad, and like it sounds exactly like what I was, like I was just ripping this stuff off, basically, like playing exactly what they were doing. Just That's how it's done. Man, yeah. Totally. That's how it's done. <laughs> I always think about that. Like, 
how ripping things off is like a really good way of making good music because like it's probably not going to sound identical and even if it does like that's still cool to me i rip yeah. disfiguring off constantly i'm always like redoing things i've already done before right. or like using patterns or lyrics mm-hmm. and stuff um but i don't know i, I remember like that whole era too because there was kind of a division i felt like locally in in carson city carson valley with like what kind of metal you were into like were you into metal core or were you into like i don't know what you'd even call it it wasn't really it's kind of i guess like death metal you know like are, are you into metal core or do you like slayer and cannibal corpse you know like, yeah do you like norma jean or do you like um cradle of filth it's like you, you very rarely would people like love both and there was a scene around people loving both Mm -hmm. and i i remember trying to like because i feel like most of the people that i um were seeing doing stuff were into like norma jean and the chariot and stuff and i just could not i could not get into that stuff for years later down the line i got into norma jean's oh god the aftermath and i was like this just sounds like mashuga like this is awesome (laughs) it does (laughs) it's sick but I remember I getting to that I've record like to two years after. Do you guys remember those t-shirts that said gore, not core when people were... Hell yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I probably had a sticker of that on my MySpace. <laughs> <laughs> some, I was really some proud. Some sort of gif. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so where did Joe come into the picture then? I, you know, I don't know how I met Joe. I have no, I can't remember for the life of me how I met Joe. Also, back to that Douglas County Fairground stuff. Like, I, my mom showed me a newspaper clipping recently of me playing it with Disfiguring the Goddess. And I was like, this happened? Really? Yeah. You played that same show? Not that same show, uh, but oh, okay. a, like a later, later version of it. And um, gotcha. I can't remember who signed us up or why we did that. Because I, I have a f- strong feeling that none of us wanted to do that. Um, and I just blocked out of my memory so I don't remember watching you guys really I wish there was a video of that the scene was so good then there were so many bands so many people doing things you know but uh you know it's funny because everyone that was doing stuff was a little bit younger than me and so I wasn't part of that scene and I was off kind of doing my own stuff and like recording my own music like by myself and just I thought I was in my own world and because I didn't know anyone besides Joe that listened to the same kind of music that I did. And so I didn't even know there was a scene. Do you remember what was that band Moments in Mayhem? Was that one? Moments in Mayhem with Kevin Bowles and yeah. Jack Hortho and Wade Beavers. Shout out. I... <laughs> I was always so jealous and of Guzman. them because I was like, man, they're like a real band. And I felt like... Yeah, they were sick. Like, they just, they they looked like they knew what they were doing and they were younger than me and I was just so jealous of them all the time. And it, you know, it, it took me until until we did that Battle of the Bands thing to actually have a an actual band but but even then yeah you know matt wasn't they even were a, like Chad a drummer that wanted to play drums you know he was just kind of 
doing it because he was was our friend, you know. So yeah, which I mean, a lot of bands start off like that, you know. Totally. I mean, all of our vocalists after Garrett were pretty much guys that just were like, yeah, I'll do it. Like I remember Jack Hortho would record us. Um, Jack Hortho was actually a really big inspiration on me to like get into recording because we went to his house and he just had like a Macintosh and like Pro Tools, mm-hmm. and I was like. I need to get some of this. Um, <laughs> yeah, Jack. Jack's awesome. Um, so bands sometimes start like that, but Moments of Mayhem was like, they were awesome. They were all like best friends, and they're all just like it was like a, a Chad band. It was like early version of Event Sevenfold or some shit. You know what I mean? They were like, yeah, Fuck yeah, yeah. And they would they would open shows in Reno, and it was it was like, wow, they're really doing it. They're a real band. So you mentioned living in um you mentioned living in Austin which I completely forgot that you had moved there. Yeah. Um but I, I was I was thinking about the time that we met up in Southern California when you were living down there. Huh. And then there was the time that you were living in Seattle and we used to hang out and eat pho and burritos and Yeah, you introduced me to You have been Tan all Brothers. over the place, man. <laughs> yeah, it's funny like thinking back about it, especially like this last year has been I would say reflective, but um it's just been fast moving and it's been um it's been there's been a lot of traction. Yeah, it seems like you're you're a lot more active than you you've used to be oh yeah it's not just like random productive i've I've been trying to be uh, active and productive but it's that's a whole nother thing but um yeah i basically moved every two years i think i stayed the longest in seattle really was was there for like three years but other than that it was like probably about a max two that was in reno i don't know probably 15 months and then in LA seven months back in Minden probably like 15 months and then Austin 24 months and then now I'm back in Nevada yeah because now I'm a licensed realtor now in Nevada and that's a whole other conversation right. uh, my dad <laughs> has a um, brokerage out here and I was kind of like shifting, a, not shifting away from music, but I was wanting to like kind of add a different trajectory to my life that wasn't music. And yeah. I was hoping to, you know, also not lean solely on it, but just gain like a lot of um, analogies from it that I could apply to other areas of my life, including music, and just kind of give my um, life more long-term options and perspectives, right? So I got into sales and then I came home for like a, like a month and I was like all of a sudden watching what my dad was doing with, with uh, the company and his team. And I was like, man, I'd be great at that. <laughs> so I kind of was like, uh, I don't know if I want to move back to Austin and like, I don't know, just, I don't, I, it's my, my first sales job was like, well, I had an internship first, um, shut up Matt MacGyver. And then I had like a real corporate job when I was like, this is not going to work. Like, What drew you to Austin? Uh, the music scene. Yeah, I got a lot of friends there. And um, just, 
in my opinion, it's the best music scene in the States. Especially for like dance music, I think. Wow. But just like, it's sick. Like it's centrally located. So if you travel, you're half day from everywhere. There's so many people that live there. And like as a DJ too, it was like everybody was into all kinds of music. There was not really one genre that was like dominating anything. And everybody listened and went to everything, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's like, and every, like culturally too, it's like you could listen to like, you could, you could be playing dance music, like playing dubstep or house music, and you could drop any rap music and everybody would know it and be into it. Mm-hmm. And you could drop like any Latin music and everybody would be into it and know it, you know? And that's just a rare place that you could do that at, you know? I, I play rap in other right. cities and stuff, and but they're like, you know, maybe they're like looking kind of goofy, but <laughs> in, in Texas, they like got it, you know? I mean, you could probably, probably play country in your sets too, but I, that was not my uh, <laughs> really my forte. But just great people there, just a awesome scene. I don't know. I, I I definitely miss it, but like back to like productivity and just like what it takes to kind of really start to gain traction and knowing myself, like kind of how do I apply my own self awareness to that process. Um. I'm definitely getting more out of my time here. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's only, I think, based on that I have lived other places. Because I could feel it. I'm a little older now, 32 now. But like when I was, I remember even, my, my whole life I've always been drawn to cities. But I remember like when I was 28 and I went to San Francisco and I was just like driving around the city. And I was like, oh man, I got to move to another city. Like <laughs> This is awesome, you know? And that's when I moved to Austin. Austin's kind of the perfect city for that because it's not super big. You know, it's not like you're moving, like, if just compared to the other Texas cities, it's not like Dallas or Houston where it's like, holy shit, this is huge, you know? Yeah, I've only spent time there for South by Southwest, so I've, I really don't know what it's like besides chaos. Yeah, chaotic. <laughs> yeah, very chaotic. I mean, it's chaotic most of the time. But once you're there, you, you can kind of get used to the flow and the chaos. And um, that's which, what, what was great about it. I really think I needed to live there during that time to kind of, quote unquote, graduate with that kind of uh, uh, impression or energy that I can kind of almost constantly recall from for motivation or inspiration. I'm pretty good at that. Like if something happens that's positive, I know how to like draw positivity from it mm-hmm. well after it happened. Um, but I can kind of see that to do what I know I needed to do, I could, uh, kind of draw off my experiences there. So I don't think I would be as happy here or as productive, especially musically without that Texas experience. Mm -hmm. That was hands down, like my favorite place I've ever lived. Wow. It's the only place that when I, when I was moving away from, I was like, damn, you're really leaving. (laughs) Yeah. It's just crazy. And I think people don't really get it. Because I never got it either until I lived there. I've been to Austin specifically like a dozen times. I've been to other Texas City tons of times. I have, before living there, I had like three of my best friends live there. And um, I just never really like got it. And then after a few days of living there, I was like, first of all, I didn't realize it was Southern, really. 
I was like, holy shit, this is the South. Like, what are you doing? (laughs) (laughs) You've made a horrible mistake. (laughs) Very different from Nevada. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But uh, after a while, I was like, man, this place is next level. Just the things that people uh, take for granted there are so awesome. It's it's so, uh, it's crazy, especially in, in the music thing. I mean, I'm sure it's fun for so many different other lifestyles too, but like doing music there, it's just like, uh, I, I, I feel like Miami would probably be a sick place to live, but Texas has like a, like I feel like you could really, it's an easy place to start from the bottom at, you know what I mean? Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I've never really thought about going elsewhere outside of Seattle. Um, I mean, I really like, I think, didn't we talk about this a little bit, Kurt? Or yeah. Imagining that. I mostly kind of stuck to the West Coast. And yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I could do Texas. Don't knock until you try it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You, you're asking about influences, too. I guess, like, early influences. Yeah, and I was kind of curious about um, Commissioner and, you know, how your DJ DJ life kind of crossed over into the heavy music because, you know, not everyone's into dubstep and, you know, you, you cross that gap. And I think you specifically, you know, brought awareness to both genres for people because there are such similarities between them in you know not not obvious similarities but just kind of in their sort of aggressiveness and like um i don't know the way that you were one of the originators of kind of both genres really and crossing them together i think isn't as as recognized now as as it could be thank you i feel like it i feel like it will be um after i'm done doing what i'm gonna do (laughs) after after what i heard the other day (laughs) yeah well that's the in my opinion tip of the iceberg but um oh wow so i feel like i mean i've been listening to music my whole life and I've kind of always gravitated towards certain stuff. Um, like when I was younger, I was always, well, that's when I got into like, you know, metal. And before I got into metal, it was like Rage Against, Rage Against Machine and movie soundtracks and uh, Blink-182 or like The Doors, you know. Um, and then... The band that changed it was I got kind of into Metallica very briefly, and I got a, a guitar teacher mm-hmm. who was like showing me Metallica, and he was like, "You could turn, you could tune your string down like this, and then you're in drop D," and then he played <laughs> Walk by Pantera, and he goes, "You should check out Pantera." And when I when I got my hands on Pantera, it was over. I was like, "Oh, this is what I've been looking for." <laughs> that was it. Because like you know, I remember like nice. being in middle school and seeing like punks. And they'd have like they'd be wearing like a misfit shirt or a CKY or whatever shirt, and they they'd be like wearing the metal stuff and had the crazy hair. I'd be like, man, that music's probably nuts. Like, I can't wait to check out this music. And I'd listen to it, and I was like, 
this stuff's lame. <laughs> like, <laughs> stuff doesn't sound that cool. It's funny that you say originally it was Metallica and then you heard Pantera because it was the exact same thing for me. My friend showed me Metallica and I got really into them and then I heard Pantera, but I wasn't really into it. Hmm. I they There was a bit more of the kind of like the toughness and the aggressiveness of it didn't really appeal to me, so I wasn't that into it. But I clearly remember the morning waking up hearing about Dimebag getting shot and going Rest to school. Peace. Shut up. And, and, and telling my friend, like, dude, I am sorry. This sucks. Like, even though I don't like him, like, dude, bummer. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think about the reunion? Uh... I mean, I'm not really crazy about trying to go see it. I think it's cool, but I don't know. I'm not really like a a big live music person really that much either, though. Like, I think I'd like to see Ramstein, and I think I'm always interested in seeing Meshuggah. And there's maybe some other bands that I would like to go see, maybe, but um, like we have the Grand Sierra Resort in Reno. They got seats, uh, seating. It's like a theater. Yeah. It's like, I'll go sit I saw Mastodon there one time. I saw Mastodon there last year with my mom. It was awesome. Nice. Yeah, I got my mom into Mastodon because <laughs> I was like listening to Mastodon. I was like, I think my mom would like this band. She got into them and then she's like, Mastodon's coming to GSR. I got us tickets. I'm like, hell yeah. Cool, but, mom. Uh, I'd, I'd go watch bands there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're so badass. She had a couple glasses of wine. <laughs> They're playing their last song, and she's like, let's get closer. Let's <laughs> <laughs> get to the pit. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I'd like to see bands in that. I don't know. I'll probably get more into seeing bands later on, but right now. I'm... It's tougher, man. Kurt and I were talking about that in the last episode. It's harder when you're older. Things change. Yeah, I mean, it's, just, it's all really uh, kind of about your priorities, too, you know? It's like... I'd rather go to a band, mm-hmm. see bands, if I'm going to, like, see people, too. Like, almost as a socializing event. Absolutely. Like, I was going to see, I was going to catch um, Distant and Angel Maker in um, Sacramento. But I got the dates mixed up with San Francisco. And I was like, sorry, guys, I'm not, I'm not driving eight hours to see you guys. <laughs> <laughs> four hours there, four hours back. Yeah. But I was going to see them. Um, and I I was looking forward to that show, but um, yeah. Anyways, uh, getting back to commissioner and whatnot, and kind of my thoughts on that. I think uh, my soul for metal has been developed over a long period of time, through like that whole soul searching process of like soul searching. Um, kind of analogy for how you one develops their own taste in metal. I feel mm-hmm. like. There's no two identical metal palettes. Like everybody has a different tree of when they got into certain bands, how long they stay with certain bands, and what what direction that kind of took them to, and that's just dependent on um your developing taste and time, you know. Um, so my 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 soul has been very developed through listening to heavy metal for a long time, and death metal too, um, and. Dubstep was kind of more 
like I I heard like the ear candy aspect of it and I was not into it and the person who actually got me more into it was Mitch Lucker like he he had like subs in his car and he was like <laughs> have you heard this shit and I was like yeah cuz I was doing that burning the masses tour in England and those guys were all on the dubstep the English guys um annotations of an autopsy weird and uh that just it was like English music you know and so I knew a little bit about it, and I can't remember how Mitch got, heard it or got into it, but somehow either I burned him a CD or he had a burned CD, and he would, like, listen to it in his car, and he would, like, try to explain to me, like, why it was cool and, like, why this is, like... <laughs> like Really push it on you. Yeah, but, like, why it was um, important or what, what, it, what it was trying to do at its core. And Mitch was a very, like, soulful type person too i think that's why we like really hit it off is like we were both um really visionary like we were able to kind of see things that were happening in other areas and see like analogies of of or like parallels of how that mm -hmm. is important to us and these things are like almost more important than things that are happening in our direct ecosystem so the, the main point though is like mitch and i have always been able to like draw inspiration and vision from people who are doing things outside of you know metal of course right mm -hmm. and we we were just like that immediately um i don't think we ever never like really talked about it we just kind of were like that and um just happened so he was trying to yeah he was trying to explain like why this is important on like that that level you know and so i would go home and I try to produce it and stuff. And, you know, we, we did our thing with it. Um, and then I did dubstep afterwards and I, I've hit dubstep from a ton of different angles, especially early on. And the ear candy thing, I think is a, a relevant point because it was like an ear candy thing. It was aggression. I was applying, I think the reason my stuff was a little more, um, catchy is cause I was applying like a kind of a rock and roll metal attitude towards it. And I think in return, it made it like dubstep pop mm -hmm. more than it was like dubstep dance music. It wasn't like pop music in the sense of like, like radio pop, but the, the way I approached it was more thinking of it. Like you would think about it in a pop context. So it was like how it was, it was structured and how it was structured and just the elements, like mm -hmm. the, the elements that jump out, that defined the song, you know, and that, that phrasing right there, look, talking about it as elements defining a song versus elements defining a track. It mm -hmm. was much more like, this is something out like it, it was more approached as a song than as a track for the clubs. You know, it was right. More, more approached how I would approach anything. Right. So I think my early dubstep definitely had like a kind of a pop, uh, it was more pop than it was dubstep, you know. Um, mm -hmm. But after getting more into dubstep, now I've been into dubstep for 10 years and all kinds of it too, not just the loud stuff, but mainly the stuff I like now is like the more deeper stuff. And um, like kind of learning how to apply the soul of both and to understand the soul of both and the mechanics of both. Cause like I referenced like Lorna Shore earlier and like, I think there's a lot of things in deathcore currently 
that are um, not they're where you can hear the ear candy element of it before you hear the soul element mm-hmm. of it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's very ins- inspirational to people. And that's good. Like you were talking about earlier, like those two pinch harmonics and um, that Slipknot song or like five seconds of a gutto secrete song being like widely inspirational for us to go create our own stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, like I see the 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 new deathcore movement doing a ton of that right now because of like the mass amounts of ear candy involved in it where it's like these defining characteristics about it and you could apply those and you could almost like replicate it directly and mix it with dubstep but if you're not to me I'm, i like I, I grasp like the soul of things so like if someone's dabbling with deathcore and dubstep and I could just tell they're just dabbling with the ear candy elements of it. It just doesn't hit me the same way just because I feel like my my palate for metal is so long developed. I have a um, it's harder for me to get more into ear candy metal at mm-hmm. this stage. Um and uh like I think that's a good thing because people who hear metal for the first time and are super creative and inspired by it, they're gonna do their own things with it. They're gonna make new stuff that's never been done before and me with my kind of long runway of metal and then when I hear something that inspires me and I'm going to do new stuff it's still going to be something that's never been done before but they're coming from like two different exciting areas that should have a lot of um like contrasting overall contribution to even further inspiring people to build on top of that Mm -hmm. you know what I mean yeah. Um yeah, it's interesting to to hear what's coming out now because it it sounds like what I was doing when I was touring like, you know, it doesn't sound any different than you know, 12, 15 years ago and yeah. at the same time it does have a different different element to it. I don't know, it's a it's a it's very strange the way it's evolved and not evolved at the same time. Yeah, and it'll it's good. Like sometimes I hear some newer sounding metal, and like it sounds very similar to stuff I was doing ten years ago, and it's just not something I'm interested in doing anymore because I feel like I've already kind of played around with it, you know. Mm-hmm. But yeah. with when I was playing around with it twelve ten years ago, it was very experimental, you know. And uh, I was making it on a computer, and it, it was experimental. And now bands are like really doing that those sounds and touring with it and generating a big fan bases and like really developing a culture around it that goes beyond just listening on a speakers or something you know people show up like people i'm not sh- i'm not i don't really know too much about like the deathcore culture but i know there's people who listen to it and i know there's the, those bands tour and stuff and uh they're going to spark people to develop their own kind of journey of palette development, you know? And, um, I don't know. I think that this next decade is going to be, uh, super great. Like, I think it's going to get so crazy and so awesome. And, um, I kind of see my own, my own stuff kind of contributing towards it. Did you guys ever hear that record I did called soothe? I remember it. Soothe came out in uh, 2020, and it just sounds like it's starting to cut on some stuff that I uh, 
and it's it's all stuff that's been done before you know in a way like i th- i listen to like fear factory and i'm like this shit sounds so sick like this sounds so modern like there's still not bands <laughs> that have like hit that industrial metal sound as good as they have in some ways in some respects you know what i'm saying but is that why you were sending it to me the other day i uh that's a dope photo, isn't it? <laughs> um, but I don't know. Yeah, I, I, uh, I basically what I'm getting at is, I'm, I'm in a, a place where like, you know, making metal, making dubstep, and like making attempts to combine the two in more of an alternative fashion, and with the alternative mindset, is, uh, back on, uh, my agenda. And not just like, oh, I want to do that later. I'm like, I'm doing it right now. It's just not out yet. So, um, but it's funny, like back in the day, you just, I would export something out of Logic Pro and put it on iTunes and it was like, yeah, there it is. Right away. Now it's I like. I did the same kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> now I got to get it mastered. Distribution takes two months, <laughs> you know, I'm like, damn, the hell. <laughs> but, um. I don't know. Yeah, shout out to Mitch Locker, True G. For sure. I think about like what we would I feel like a lot of the new disfiguring stuff I write lately sounds like Commissioner. Like it sounds like how Commissioner was like probably gonna end up sounding. And I think disfiguring is just kinda going that direction now. And um like I write stuff where I'm like, Man, Mitch would be like think this is the coolest <laughs> shit ever. <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> yeah, he's the man. He's still like, uh, I still think he's uh, one of the most in- influential guys around in the scene. I think people who knew him especially feel that way, you know. Oh, but uh, man, definitely a G. It's crazy to think he died like ten years ago. Yeah, you know, almost. We're coming up on ten years. When we did that tour with him, um, like I don't know, I just I just always kind of felt out of place when we were with bigger bands, especially bands the size of like suicide silence but i will never forget that time we did that little tour with them and we would the the first show was at a pizza place and we walked up the stairs and they're sitting there eating pizza and they all just jumped up what's going on you know just like totally welcoming just like couldn't have been nicer from the start and yeah so i didn't get to know them super well but you know they're awesome still are it's funny like you say that because like sometimes i go back and listen to malevolence and i'm like man this record's so Do dope <laughs> like it's it's just like quintessential of that sound <laughs> even the production on it is just like so sick oh well thanks so what about you kurt um well, not that we need to go off on too much more of a tangent on it, but when I was getting into heavier metal, I was into some like metalcore stuff, and I I don't remember if it was Impending Doom or Suicide Silence, but I heard both of their first albums, and that was like a turning moment where I was like, "This is really good." Like, this is I don't even know what this is, but it's special, and I really liked it, and. For me and my friends, the cleansing was like, we listened to it every day, and it, it was so good, and they were already the biggest band to us, and then when, like, No Time to Bleed came out, and they actually, like, blew up, we were just like, I didn't even know 
they like we thought they were already huge and we're just like i didn't even know they could be this famous like that new record is pretty good i don't know if you've listened to it yet but i listened to it the other day and i was like man this is like super death metal like yeah it's it's, sick it's a little bit different but it, it was really good yeah it riffs for days yeah um i watched a video live video it was really cool uh have you guys heard that band peeling flesh no they're a slam band. Um, I think they're from Oklahoma. and um, That's a pretty slam place to be from. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, you guys should check them out. Their, their production's great. Their vibe is great. They really nail the sound. And they also make it really fresh and like exciting to listen to. And um, I think they could be a um, a band that is like you you could consider like a slam band, but also could be like accessible to other types of metal. I could see them doing like any kind of tour they could do. I could see them touring with deathcore bands or hardcore bands. All the musicians in the band are so sick too. And I, I saw a live video of them, and like it was the beginning, and they're like, "Yo, we're we're peeling flesh," and they were like. Rest in peace, Mitch Lucker. If it wasn't for Suicide Sounds, <laughs> none of us would be on stage. And they just start going into like the craziest shit. And nice. I'm like, damn, this band's awesome. <laughs> was, already a, a mark of approval. Yeah, I was like, but I was already like way into them at this point. I'm just like, I just watch their, their stuff. And when they play shows, I will watch videos of it. And I was like, damn, that was that was that was a cool thing just to shout out randomly as like a slam band particularly too you know <laughs> but yeah slam is super fascinating to me because it, it really just like the past year or two i've been getting into it i i had never really listened to any of that stuff and then i listened to molesting the decapitated by devourment and i was like right out the gate, it was like it was another one of those suicide silence moments where I was like, "This is one of the best albums I've ever listened to," and so I've been kind of going down that rabbit hole, and it's hard because I'm I collect vinyl, so it's I I have a harder t- <laughs> I have a harder time listening to music when I can't like buy it. You know, yeah. I like to. It's harder for me to just like go on Spotify or YouTube and find stuff. So it's. A little bit harder to get into slam bands because they're you know there's not a lot of it on vinyl but i've been getting super into that so i'll definitely check it out because i'm always looking for a new slam now slam i don't know slam has always been uh really mixed around with just brutal death metal in general like devourment and like especially that record is just like and baby killer that uh well what's that what's that yellow album called butcher of the week Devourment has butcher of the week yeah, that album's another classic. Um, like they, uh, they were like a purist band. Then you had bands that like a Bonnell Patridity, especially the first a Bonnell Patridity record, very um, slam sounding. And then a Bonnell Patridity kind of went more of like a, just a brutal death metal route, you know. But that that's very common for slam bands to go into like a brutal death metal route or to be mixed in yeah. brutal death metal. I don't think there's much of a market, so that kind of makes sense. Oh, yeah. There's I, much of a market. <laughs> there, in some ways, there is, but it's like a, a global, obscure uh, exchange. You I, know? Yeah, I have one. 
I can't even say it, Abominable Putridity album. And it's I I bought it because of the the font, like the logo. I was like, that's gotta be like brutal. Like <laughs> that's gotta be good. <laughs> Weren't you part of that for a while? Yeah, in high school, those guys asked me to start working with them, and I did a show in Russia, in Moscow with them, like a like That's a week right. after I graduated I high school. About that, that was awesome. And then uh, I did some. Then I heard like the the follow up record, and it was just the demos I was doing the vocals to, and it wasn't very slammy. It was um, very death. It was very brutal death metal. And I, I remember, like, having a hard time doing the vocals. And then um, I think I did half the songs or something, and then I think they were just over it. And they went with Maddie Way, and he killed it. Um, I think that record now that I was was doing vocals on, too, is, like, a very popular brutal death metal record. Um, it's, like, the the blue one with the, the, the guy escaping. Um you know, that's the one. I have in the that's end of the human one. existence. That's you know, the one that, that I have. Album that's rules. It. Is it? That album's so sick. That's the stuff that we were like jamming in high school, like in a Ford F-150, like, mm. <laughs> It's awesome. <laughs> that, yeah, yeah, I remember my old drummer, Saf, like loved that band too. And like, we just, we just, it just like no bullshit. And, like, that's another thing I like about when people are developing a certain sound, like slam, that's very one-dimensional. It's like you need to, you need to the, like, build that box and then stay in it, you know? And that's where you're going to, like, really push that genre well. And I feel like that record particularly did that extremely well. It had, like, just, like, sick, like, 2007 production on it. The vocals, like, never, there was no variance in vocal <laughs> style. It was just, like, low the whole time. It was almost like you just would, like, turn on a fan, <laughs> you know? And just have it, like, have that <laughs> blow into the microphone and just provide that presence. <laughs> I was like, this is awesome. I'm looking at a picture of you right now. <laughs> Abominable putridity Russian fucking heavy machine. And you're just so serious with these three other guys. <laughs> these three other Russians. Dude, it was yep. it was awesome. It was like uh I don't it was so crazy. Like the show was sold out and people were like so st- I guess my videos were just like really big there cuz people were just going nuts. I took so many pictures with people. It was awesome. It was awesome. I remember my parents didn't want me to go. Oh, I bet. And I was like, and I was like well, I'm 18. I'm going to go. And then they're like, no, you're not. And then like one day my passport showed up in the mail, and they were like, oh, shit. He's going to go. My mom like, didn't sleep the whole time. Like the moment I the moment I left the, the U.S., she was like, he's gone. <laughs> <laughs> he's in danger. But that was fine. It was awesome. I was uh, listening to a bunch of that stuff last night. Do you guys remember the Partisan Turbine? Yeah. Dude, that band was awesome. I was jamming them last night. Well, 
my buddy and I were jamming them. He was drinking Pinot Grigio, getting <laughs> like way too into it. I was like, I'm gonna, all right, I'm gonna go now. <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Thanks for having me over. I don't know. You got anything else, Kurt? Um, I did just want to say that. You know, as we were getting ready to do this, I was kind of refamiliarizing myself with some of your work and, you know, kind of putting pieces together. And I I guess I had never really thought about how all these different things you do, Disfiguring the Goddess and the dubstep stuff and uh, dubstep for moms and all that, the vlogging. Hell yeah. And <laughs> as I was putting that together... I kind of started to see the line that connects them all of like, you've always been very inclusive. Like you've always kind of let people behind the scenes. You're like bringing people along. And I, I think it kind of clicked when I was reading the, the little description of dubstep for moms where I was like, that's it. That's like the, (laughs) (laughs) when you make the, the YouTube vocal videos and you're, in your bedroom when you're a teenager didn't you eat chocolate ice cream didn't you that wasn't that that was a thing right yeah yeah everyone's like how do you do this <laughs> these sounds so and i was like this is my video or i said i, I think the description was my secrets revealed <laughs> so i, I mean, didn't say a word you see those those youtube videos to disfiguring the goddess and the vlogs and the dubstep stuff and dubstep for mom i just think it's very cool how you're always kind of bringing people along for the ride and it's uh it's just very cool to see that all that connect now so i just wanted to let you know that i think it's very cool all the stuff you've done thank you thank you i feel like things are better when they're a little funny and like dubstep for mom is a good example like it was when i made that record it wasn't called dubstep for moms but that's like how i was describing it to people <laughs> i was like like your mom would like it like you could play it anywhere like anyone would like it like you could like you know fold laundry to it or like <laughs> sing in the car to it and my buddy was like why don't you just call it dubstep for moms <laughs> But I, anything that makes me laugh, I'm like, I'm going to do it because it's just funny, you know? Where did Big Chocolate, did that just originate because of just a joke? Well, you know, LG had a chocolate phone. That was my first cell phone. And I showed up to school one day and they were like, damn, Big Chocolate. <laughs> uh, honestly, though, it was it was like, you know, back in like the... You know, if your name was, like, Ben, you'd be, like, Brutal Ben on yeah. MySpace. Yeah. You know? And, like, you had to have some... It's funny, because that's still a thing now with handles. They're a little different, you know? Um, but people still have a handle. Mm-hmm. Uh, but back in the MySpace days, you needed a cool name. And I always liked when people in bands had cool names, too. Like, I think I think the guy in See Next Tuesday still goes by Fox. Like just random, random shit, you know. I'm like sick, um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I remember uh, I was like really young when I think I started using Big Chocolate, and it was actually in the cool new people. I stole it from some other guy. And it was like you know they wanted you to, like meet <laughs> yeah. other people. There's this guy in there named Big Chocolate. He was like you know posing all sick, and um, his page just had like all these like litter 
little like gif images of like girls dancing and stuff you know what i mean <laughs> i'm like yeah like i don't know if i added him or not it was really early on in myspace i was like this guy's awesome myspace wants me to meet him <laughs> <laughs> what about this figure in the goddess uh that name was actually garrett mcgeehan we were called corpses make mountains and he was like what if we made a side band called disfiguring the goddess and i was like dude that should just be our band name like that, that name's awesome <laughs> <laughs> so shout out to garrett mcgeehan he's also on the album blood animal we both did vocals on that whole album and no one notices so i gotta <laughs> constantly remind people <laughs> um but uh yeah when i started to do music i was i'm not really a metal like guy obviously i am but like i never had like a real metal personality like i think when people find out that i like metal let alone make it they're like very surprised like well i never expected you to like that i get the same reaction and um so big chocolate was kind of like a nice moniker for that too like i'm not like this like you know i don't want to be called like sun devastation or something like that (laughs) so i thought big chocolate was like kind of more my personality Mm -hmm. especially like contrasting into metal and at the time using it publicly i was like 15 16 so it was like very very like non-serious i remember and then it got serious of course people like loved it and then um I remember when I was touring as Big Chocolate DJing, I remember like being like 23 or 22. I remember just like having like, like this night where I was like in bed and I couldn't, I was losing sleep over the fact that that was my name and I didn't know why. I was like, what are you, I was like, what are you doing? Like you're Big Chocolate, like and you're, you're making music. Like what the heck is going on here? Big Chocolate, like that's the name. <laughs> I love it. What do you, oh, it's great. Everyone loves it. I love it. It's uh, it's fun. Again, things are just they're better when they're funny. Yeah. Big chocolate's just a classic, and it's a now it's like a stapled name. You know. Yeah. Oh yeah. In certain scenes, especially. You know. Big chocolate. There he is. Well, I think as much as as much as you know breakdowns and stuff, the I think the humor that's kind of injected into deathcore is one of the biggest things that differentiates it from other death metal. Especially um, in the earlier days with samples and goofy <laughs> yeah. t-shirts and stuff. Oh, yeah. I, dubstep was like that, too. Dubstep was always like build up, build up, and then like, you know, I'm happy you broke your leg, yeah. and then dubstep, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> We lived for that stuff, though, man. Like, we would search for, like, we would watch movies and be like, oh, right there, we got to pull that one. And we would load it up onto our drummer's sample pad, and we would have just random samples. And then, oh, yeah, that was such a big thing. It's fun when the crowd knows it and they all say it. Oh, yeah, you remember that band, uh, Graf Orlock? Sounds familiar. Damn, they were so sick. They're a grindcore band. Uh, they called their style of music Cinema Grind. And every song had like a classic movie sample, either in the beginning or again throughout the period. And uh, I saw them once at Chain Reaction when I was living down in Orange County. 
and they were the headlining band and they set up all their equipment on the floor and told everyone <laughs> to get on stage and all around them. So I watched from the stage and it was sick. What? And they had a sampler <laughs> and um every, the whole room would scream every sample. That's it was awesome. Sick. It was awesome. <laughs> it was really rowdy. They that's a great band. The album to listen to or the album that I would repeatedly listen to had like a face hugger on the front. What was it called? It was called um, Destination Time Tomorrow. It's a sick album. It's only 16 minutes long. <laughs> Classic grindcore. <laughs> Is it 100 yeah. tracks as How well? Tracks? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That always reminds me of that Pig Destroyer album. It's like 38 counts of battery. Yeah. That album rules. Yeah, that's a great album. That's on my Yeah. All the music I bought on iTunes when I was growing up plays automatically when I get into any car my phone's connected to. <laughs> and I, I lucked out and now it shuffles it. It was always the same Cradle of Phil song every single time. It was like a lame one too. It was like dring dring and I was like, God. Um but now it shuffles. So I always hear like Pig Destroyer <laughs> and Mayhem. I heard At the Gates this morning. I was like, this is sick. I was like making business phone calls. I was like, this is awesome. <laughs> Drinking Starbucks. I was like, this is great. <laughs> well, is there anything, uh, I mean, you said you've got a couple albums coming out, you know, on the way that you didn't necessarily want to talk about, but um, is there anything yeah. that you do want to plug for right now? Yeah, my super sick website, www.cameronargon.com. Um, and then uh, Twitter, Big Chocolate. I'm not, not on it right now because it's distracting. I got to focus. It's very um, distracting. But listen to Dubstep for Moms. Listen to uh, Disfiguring the Goddess Carnival. And um, check out my super sick website, www dot cameron argon dot com i was thinking of adding a store to my website that was all fake <laughs> like i'm like buy this dubstep for mom's catalog and it's like sold out the dubstep for mom's escalate is is on back <laughs> sold out. every like few months i tweet it and i'd be like like hey like i'm um, trying to get these orders out sorry like we can't keep up with demand <laughs> <laughs> so dumb like the dubstep for moms like yoga mat the dubstep for moms you know that's a good like, one <laughs> yeah the, the dubstep for moms water bottle i need to make a dubstep for moms stanley tumbler or what you do uh, I, I completely agree i'll pitch it tomorrow in our meeting <laughs> hey I got, there's this guy <laughs> we are hey a hundred percent serious we're doing artist collaborations right now, and that's part of what I'm doing. Damn. So it is, not, it is not out of the realm of possibility for you to reach out to them and do a collaboration. Damn, I'm, I'm for sure going to write a pitch. I'm going to reference the, the sweet, sultry beats. 
Yeah, man, we've been we've been chatting about about two hours now, so um, it's probably a pretty good time to wrap things up. Yeah, you know, I got a lot of I got a lot of business stuff to take care of because you know I'm, I'm in the real estate business now. Yeah, we <laughs> <laughs> had some had some troubles uh, getting getting things scheduled yeah. at first, but. Um, want to thank you immensely for being our first guest yeah man thank you so much for the theme, the theme song, song. Thank everything you. being a guest honored, it's, awesome. to it's be been involved. a pleasure catching up with you i feel like i got it wrong in the first episode what do you what band do you always text me about flaw flaw <laughs> that's yeah. right payback <laughs> payback that's yeah. right that song's I, awesome. I said nickelback in the first episode because i couldn't think of of what it was but i knew it was something weird but yes it's flaw so we will we will be jamming some flaw after after this <laughs> when he goes guess what you, you suck, suck. <laughs> <laughs> damn that song goes hard. <laughs> makes you want to, makes you want to throw like your left leg back when you hit bang each time. That is some some new metal. <laughs> All right. Well, I think I'm gonna end things here. Thank you so much, Cam. Uh, Kurt, where can yeah, we find you. you on the internet? Well, if you want to follow bring the heavy you can follow us at bring the heavy on instagram if you want to follow me you can follow me on instagram and letterboxd at kurtcake 5k what about you evan and i'm on instagram at idw museum and uh did you want to throw out any more cam uh thank you kurt and evan for having me on bring the heavy <laughs> Right radio, on, man. Radio. <laughs> That's good. I should add that to it. <laughs> radio, radio, mix. All right, man. Well, it's good talking to you. Yeah, likewise. You guys take care. All right, thanks. Looking you. forward to seeing the episode. Thank you for having me on. Yeah. Peace. Talk to you later. Shaka bra. Peace.